0: You're listening to Record
1: Revolution. 1993. B-Side. All right, we are back with our first B-Side for the Fire and Water Records podcast. Um, And cards on the table... First of all, as always... Parental advisory sticker warning in the corner. Language might get a little blue. Again, I have no idea if it will, but the warning is there for anybody listening to this with your kids in the car or something like that.
0: Yeah, in keeping with the 1993 theory that we both came up with on our prior podcast about how we started to discover B-sides, it's only fitting that we would leave something out
1: of the podcast and have to come back and do a B-side. Almost like this was planned, when in fact it was like the next day or the same night or whatever, that we recorded the other one I sent you this text I'm like fuck we forgot a really important (laughs) album from 1993 Um, and uh, the one in question here is the compilation album No Alternative uh, this was put together by a couple of music producers, including one guy named Paul Heck. The whole thing was designed It got a bunch of these alternative bands. Some of them were just breaking, becoming big. Some of them had name recognition. But the whole thing was this no-alternative compilation was to benefit AIDS relief at mm-hmm. the time. So some of the songs were written specifically for this compilation, and they deal with a lot of those themes of knowing somebody or you know like coming to yeah. terms with the HIV and AIDS scare that was so prevalent in... In the 80s and 90s. And just to kind of give you a, a list of some of the bands that appear on this compilation, uh, there's a Nirvana song, which on most copies of the record was actually not credited. It was a secret song at the very end. That's correct. But Nirvana was on it, the Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, Sarah McLaughlin, the Beastie Boys, the Goo Goo Dolls, who were a no name band at the time. Yep. Um, Soul Asylum, the Breeders, Buffalo Tom, Uncle Tupelo, and Sonic Youth. Just to name some of them, there are a few others.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We kind of we kind of went into uh, you know we talked heavily about the single soundtrack in our last podcast, even though that didn't come out in '93. This almost could have been a B-side to the single soundtrack mm-hmm. if you look at the list of bands.
1: Yeah, yeah. In terms of like what I was saying, kind of like a supergroup of of you know like all of these like hits and all yeah. these bands and everything. So
0: it's your Justice League again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a really good compilation, and it's it's one of those things where I I forgot about it. It just it was out of my had out of mind, but once I thought of it and I li- went back and listened to it, I remember so many of these songs. Um, like the Buffalo Tom, which I remember Buffalo yeah. Tom mostly from the song "Late at Night," which was featured heavily in my so-called life, the TV show, which we also previously yeah. mentioned when we were talking about uh, Juliana Hatfield. But their song—it's the second song on this album for all to see. I love that song. It's just a great little rock song.
0: Yeah, Buffalo Tom. I, I kind of like what you said. You know, they were a, a, an indie Boston band that kind of came out in the in the '90s. They never really broke big like a lot of a lot of the others, but they were very Gin Blossoms-ish mm-hmm. kind of. You know. A little bit on the pop side of alternative rock, but I, you know you're right. My so-called life, the 1993 ABC TV show, which I have a very strong connection to. First of all, this was at a time when I was auditioning left and right for parts on that show, and I even went through a period where I told everybody I was Jared Leto's drummer in the band <laughs> Tino because Tino was actually never filmed on screen, so that was my story. But uh, this soundtrack to that show, you know, we already mentioned uh, Juliana Hatfield and stuff. That soundtrack kind of broke a lot of. Uh, indie bands to MTV, and mm-hmm, even, so
1: mm-hmm, yeah, um, and just yeah, I, it's something that I, I can go back and I can listen to again. Uh, the Soul Asylum song "Sexual Healing," uh, which uh, obviously it's a cover of the Marvin Gaye song. And some of the songs <laughs> on these are covers, but yeah, that one yeah. kind of blew me away because I think it was it was kind of just my first experience hearing a cover that was sort of like cross genres. Like, ah, like I mean, yeah, I knew yeah. I knew of like you know bands like covering like rock bands covering other rock bands or you know Motown artists doing you know the same kind of standards. And I think I probably even knew that like in the '60s, like bands that were on a certain label would cover like the Rolling Stones would cover you know that's how strong my love is or something like that. Yeah, or, or you know, cause, so I kind of I was right, aware of that. Right. But this was the first time really feeling like a contemporary band, somebody that I knew, like Soul Asylum, was reaching back to not. A rock song, but like a Motown, an R and B hit, or something like that, and it was still funky, but it was it had like this new kind of energy, and it was it was different. It was just really, really fun to listen to. So I love that song, and it kind of like opened my eyes to like looking for more types of covers like that. That kind of broke down the walls of like what I kind of thought like music genres always sort of fit into.
0: Yeah, this, this definitely was one of those, it kind of started a love-hate relationship with cover songs for me. I went through, you know, I mean, because there are were, there were two sides to the coin here, where, you know, on the one hand, you know, it, some people would say it's blasphemy to take such a brilliant, perfect song and completely change genres and make a, a, a slow R&B song a rock song. You know, there are some people that would just argue, you can't do that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's the argument that could be made that says, well, then if you're going to redo a carbon copy of it, why do it? Right, it's why not else as- would you
1: do? It? If, yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. So, so I kind of, as a songwriter growing up in an, or, you know, in the last few years and becoming a musician playing live, but knowing you have to incorporate cover songs into your set, because nobody knows my songs. <laughs> right, so, I right, right. To, so I have to play covers to keep people involved and interested. I've definitely gravitated more towards the, I'm going to try and find something that makes it interesting to me attitude and so i yeah i think but this kind of started that like i like you said like you said this was very eye-opening i'm like wait you can do that
1: (laughs) yeah no and i like and like even like Gosh! Like a decade later, like I would hear like it wasn't fish, but it was basically a fish type of band doing a cover of Gin and Juice or something like that, and just like this complete like you know kind of like folky country type of version. I was like, all right, you know what? They made it work. It's it's a fun little version of that song. So no,
0: that's blasphemy. Yeah. You can't touch
1: Gin and Juice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, all right. Different sides of this argument now. Um, another cover that is really good on this album is the um, the Goo Goo Doll song, covering this, the Rolling Stones song "Bitch," um, which I, I didn't. It didn't occur to me at the time, like because this was probably the first Goo Goo Doll song I ever heard. <laughs> right. So. I thought the singer of this song was their lead singer, and it's, not, <laughs> it's not like it's not Johnny Resnick singing this song i don't know I don't know like who they brought in to sing this one a large black man, but then like I think probably two years later, I saw the music video for name uh from, yeah. from their big album, a boy named Goo, and I'm like this like skinny little long-haired white guy i'm like I don't think that's the same lead singer. Did this band change something? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's funny. There's an interesting story about that because Goo like, Goo Dolls were, they, were, they uh, started in Buffalo, New York in, in a very blue collar workmen's area kind of thing. And uh, Robbie, the bass player, who is like Johnny's best friend. I mean, it's like pretty much the two of them are inseparable. Uh, told a story. I want to say it was in an MTV behind the music something or other. But he talked about this guy guy that lived in this building above him or below him. No, above him. I think Robbie lived below him. And uh, he heard this guy just belting out R&B songs for like years hmm. in the same building. And one time he passed him in the hallway and it was this guy named Lance Diamond, who was a big name R&B singer, I guess, in Buffalo. Like, I don't know if he ever broke. I honestly, I can't even speak to that. I don't know. But he heard him singing all the time and the guy was great. And they had just gotten an offer to contribute something to this No Alternative soundtrack. And their label was kind of pushing them to to give them something just because it it would be name recognition for them. And it was a charitable cause and blah, blah, blah. And I think this is probably one of those many, many periods where Johnny was going through writer's block, (laughs) which we hear about all the time. So they they decided to do a cover and he recruited this guy that lived above him. <laughs> and that was how Lance Diamond sang on the song. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a great version, though. For however, however, it came together, it worked because it's. I think it's one of the standouts on the CD. One of the reasons why I am kicking myself for forgetting this the first time around uh, is because I mean we spent so much time talking about the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> right. and this features probably my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song. Mm-hmm. I mean it's been a while since I've gone through their whole catalog, but it, it's if it's not the number one, it's still in the top three. Yeah. And dear
0: listeners, don't worry, we'll get to our full catalog <laughs> of Smashing
1: Pumpkins. <laughs> we will go through that and we'll, we'll episodes get episodes probably <laughs> in the future. But yeah, the song is "Gliness." Um, which, interestingly, like I don't, I don't know how much you know about the origin of the song. I was going to pick your brain about it because I know a lot. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember Billy saying that he wrote this about a girl named Glennis who died of AIDS. Yeah. Now, curiously, this song came out for this compilation in 1993. That's the same year that they released Siamese Dream and that they were recording that whole thing. But if I was to peg this as an album outtake. I think this song sounds like more like it belongs on Gish than Siamese Dream. What do you think? Um sound-wise it's boy
0: it's interesting. That's an interesting argument. The weird thing is, I, it's hard to answer that because this wasn't an album outtake. Mm-hmm. Glynis Johnson was the lead singer of a band that toured with the Pumpkins around Gish called Red Red Meat. They were another Chicago band. And they, I, they never broke out. But Or she was either a songwriter or uh, maybe she was a female bass player like Darcy. I, I, one or the other. But um, they became friends because they toured with the Pumpkins when they were playing bars, when they were all nobodies and he w- was really good friends with her and she got AIDS and she died so i think he wrote this song not necessarily as an outtake to an album just specifically for this purpose like when they, when they plus as prolific as he is you know, I think a lot of bands probably went through calling through their catalogs to submit something, and Billy heard about you know when he was asked to do No Alternative. I think he just decided I'm going to write something for it, right. and it was a it was because it was for AIDS research and, and whatnot. So I think he put this together for that purpose. Now back to your original question about the sound of the song. Um, I don't even know where it lives. To be honest with you, I mean, if this fell on the Pisces Iscariot B sides album, I would be hard pressed to say. I mean, it could. It's it's one of those non album specific kind of sounds <laughs> because it's a it's it doesn't really sound like Siamese because Siamese was so heavy distortion and electric and fuzz. But Gish, you know, Gish was very, very consistent in sound with the psychedelic rock kind of thing. Right. You know, just a little more high treble on the Strat than Siamese was. So I don't even know. I don't even know where I'd put it. So your, your theory could be, it, it, that's interesting. I've never, really, I've never really listened to it with an ear for saying where this would go, where this would fit. It almost feels like it would fit more on Melancholy because that was so much, mm. you know, wide of scope. It was so all yeah. over the map. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Good question, though. But uh, yeah, it, you know, in terms of describing the song, though, I, I I knew this was one of your favorites. I knew this was one of your favorites. It's up there with mine. It's definitely a fantastic song. But, you know, when Billy started re-releasing in the last couple of years the box sets of every album and all the outtakes that came with it, like the super deluxe issues, he's been reissuing all his albums. Glynnis came out on one of them. And I should I should go back and look to see which album this was associated with, because that would be your answer right there. And I don't know. But it's an alternate take, Glynnis that's on the Super Deluxe Remasters. And it's very interesting because the song sounds almost the same except his vocal track at the end. If you haven't heard it, don't listen to it because he just kind of goes off on this weird tangent where he's screaming and yelling and laughing as he's doing it, almost like he was just having fun in the studio, but it doesn't really serve the song. So it was kind of, hmm. it was just kind of weird. Like, I don't, I, don't, I mean, it was just one of those weird vocal takes where I think he was probably just at the end of his rope.
1: <laughs> Not sure. Not sure. I want to indulge in that one. No,
0: no, don't, because it'll kind of taint your image of the song.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd rather not. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, like you're right. Like it doesn't have like the same distortion effect because it's a slow acoustic song with a, a pronounced sort of like bassy twang kind of feel to the guitar. Yeah, That's yeah. towards the end, like after the chorus, kind of like breaks down into this this recurring uh, motif of I believe in one love, and his his voice reaches this high falsetto at the end that is always like something about where his voice goes at the end. Just like it it, gotta hit me, hit me somewhere. And it just like, it it crushes me that, that end of the song. Yeah. And the, one of the things about like why this has always been my favorite and like a more personal thing is there was certainly a time period for just a couple of years where like you and dad, I tried to play the guitar. (laughs) Um, We we got me a Stratocaster and I I tried to pick it up. (laughs) I did not stick with it. But there were a few songs, like maybe five songs that I actually learned to play and I could play them like all the way through, like with the chord changes and everything, like start to finish. This was one of them. (laughs) Uh, This was one of just a, a few, like maybe five songs that I learned how to play on the guitar and I could do it. Um, and there was a time period, like, my sophomore year in high school, where I started hanging out with a different group of guys, and they were in a band. Uh, and sometimes we would just, like, bring guitars to, like, school or, like, hang out in the back or, like, to their house and just do little jam sessions. And I was a total hanger-on. Like, I wasn't <laughs> with them. Like, they were, they had a guitar. They had a bass. They were, like, in a band, and I was just hanging out with them trying to keep up. Um, and I couldn't really. But there was definitely a night, like, where we were jamming, and then that jam turned into an actual party. Um, and went late. And I, I mean, I think also, like, I, I had, like, a video camera, like, around at the time because I would just kind of, like, record us jamming and, and seeing if I could do anything with that. And somewhere, wherever that camera exists, if it's in mom and dad's basement or in the attic, there might be video <laughs> of me tripping on acid, playing this song. And then maybe no surprises by Radiohead and like a few other, doing my own little acoustic set. Um. It might still exist, or maybe it was in my head. Uh. Man,
0: I've, I've, we've got to find that footage. This is <laughs> this is fantastic. I, I was not aware of this. I've never seen this. I, I just I want I need to see this now.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it's there. Um, I'll definitely have to screen it first. And <laughs> if things if things go bad, you know what? It's not there. I, I looked. <laughs> the tape was disappeared. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. No, you know what is funny about this though? What I do remember because I think uh, you know you're talking about later on. You know, in your high school year. <laughs> (laughs) and stuff I remember about the time the song came out you had to be what like 11 or something Mm -hmm. like that you know something like that I remember I remember vividly you could hit the falsetto high note (laughs) and I remember you saying that all the time just Mm -hmm. that one note and I think you probably had maybe headphones you know walk around the house with either Mm -hmm. a Discman or a Walkman or something and you were playing it, and nobody else could hear the music (laughs) but we could just hear you singing that high note that Billy (laughs) (laughs) hits at the end it was just and you saying it all the time. I think it was because you could hit the note, so you did.
1: <laughs> if only I could still, but <laughs> yeah. I will not I will not recreate that effect for the podcast. <laughs>
0: say about the song though is also because uh, the No Alternative had a concert on MTV too Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I I really remember the the Pumpkins played a couple songs for it including this song in an acoustic setting on it and just watching uh, you know watching them for, this might have been right around the first time I ever saw them do an acoustic set, an acoustic yeah, song. Yeah. Because, you know, at least on TV, you know, I'd seen them just basically do rock stuff. And, you know, seeing how well they recreated Note for Note, a live performance of this song was just awesome. So <laughs> I was really, really a fan of then discovering Billy's acoustic side too.
1: Yeah, they they must have done a whole set for that performance too. That wasn't like on the the No Alternative video. Like you could get like a VHS. Right. They just showed this song. But I remember on the Pumpkins movie of Euphoria. It was like mm-hmm. a collection of like music videos and concert footage and everything. They had a performance, I think, of Geek USA from from Siamese Dream that was from the same the same session as they did that Glynnis because Billy was dressed the same way. It was the same setup and everything. Yeah,
0: I think they did today also.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think they were probably – they did like a whole set. There were a couple of songs yeah. at least um, and they just kept the one for no alternative and then the rest was probably – I mean, yeah. I mean it was obviously the Siamese Dream sessions. Right. So. Yeah, well, that could be the answer to your question.
0: There are a couple other songs that I just want to kind of gloss over that, like, you know, this album was kind of front-heavy. You know, I remember listening a lot more to the first half of the album than the last half because it was long. Mm-hmm. But... There were there were just a couple of things of note that I found interesting. You know, Soundgarden had a song on there, and this was right right around the time. It's not even one of my favorite Soundgarden songs, but Soundgarden kind of was the first to break out of the Seattle scene. They were handpicked by Axl Rose on, to open for Guns and Roses on Use Your Illusion back in 1990. So that was that was before Seattle had the scene had broken nationally and stuff. And there was. Uh, Oh, God, what else? There was a, uh, let's say I mean, there were songs about, like, Sonic Youth on there. There was a, a song by the lead singer of, uh, that Bob Mould guy was the lead singer of Husker Dew, who were major influences on Nirvana and the Pixies. But then there was a, a, a song towards the end by Uncle Tupelo called Effigy, which is actually a CCR song. But every time I heard that song on the No Alternative soundtrack, I remember thinking it was Neil Young. Hmm. I, I had the weirdest, like, it was the weirdest thing. So recently, as, as I knew we forgot this for the podcast, I went back and listened to it and looked up who this band was. And it's in kind of an interesting story. I'm just going to gloss over it really quick. But Uncle Tupelo was a band from Champaign, Illinois. They were like U of I guys. Mm-hmm. And they were heavily influenced by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young in alternative country rock and all this. And it was interesting because I hear so much Neil Young in the sound of this song. And then they did a CCR song. So I just found this really interesting that made me kind of want to, like, this is the kind of band that I could picture dad liking. Hmm. You know, that's a, This would really be something, like, maybe to kind of follow up on and just see if any of their other stuff is is as good because it's kind of that folk Southern rock, but for a new era, as if they brought the 70s folk rock to or Southern rock to alternative. So that was kind of interesting.
1: I want to say some of my friends actually got into Uncle Tupelo. Like, I think really? some of my friends may have even seen them perform in concert.
0: Well, they, they might have been right around the same time then. Down at U of I are yeah. playing at least the college circuit and stuff. Lastly, uh, you mentioned before the hidden track: verse, chorus, verse by by Nirvana. I, I'm only mentioning this because, and I don't know the ba- because it was a hidden track and it was uncredited. It's almost impossible for us to know if this was given to them for this purpose or if it was just an outtake. To, you know, I don't know those answers. You might, I don't, but I want to say that this is one of my favorite Nirvana songs, and that's the <laughs> only reason I kind of want to put it on there because it was just it was such a cool track to discover. At the end of this album, like if I had to do like a a top ten, I mean it's on my Nirvana playlist for sure. But if I even had to wean my Nirvana playlist down to maybe like a top ten songs, this would be in there. I, I really, really like this track. So
1: you know what? That was like the one thing in my notes. I think this is my favorite Nirvana song, or one of them. <laughs> it's definitely one of them. And it's kind of like the same thing. Like I, I never liked Nirvana as much as the Pumpkins or Pearl Jam or, or some right. of the other bands that we've talked about, like from this from this era. But of the song, of the Nirvana song that I liked, this was always really close, like really, you know, top five, top three, uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no kidding.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, one more. The opening track, I don't know if we talked about this at all, but Super Deformed by Matthew Sweet. I don't know if you remember this, but it actually had a video. There was a music video for it. And um, this – right around this time, the same guy directed all these videos. His name was Kevin Kerslake. And he was like the – he he, he kind of broke all the alternative. Like once he made one alternative rock video, everybody wanted a but he directed like a couple Nirvana videos, including Come As You Are, Cherub Rock by the Pumpkins. He directed Soda Jerk by Buffalo Tom. And check this out. He directed the video for My Name is Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe this guy's list of credits. I'm like, well, that's an odd one. That's crazy. I couldn't believe that. Nice. So here we're here we are on Record Revolution, bridging all episodes, all, <laughs> all podcasts to kind of filter into one. It
1: all comes Comes back to Prince.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, One more thing before we go. Uh, I forgot to mention this, too. Uh, Buffalo Tom, do you remember – I think you had this. Do you remember the Schoolhouse Rock album? Yeah. When a bunch of alternative rock bands did the songs from Saturday Morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Buffalo Tom did Lolly, 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 Get Your Adverbs Here, (laughs) which was always my favorite song from Schoolhouse Rock. I always thought that was the best. So, I I mean, I remember that. I think you, well, I know I didn't have the album, so I think you did and you probably played it. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I know those bands. And that was it. That was my extent of it. But I always loved Lolly, Lolly, Lolly. (laughs) And I think it's great that it was Buffalo Tom. That was so nice. (laughs) So that's all I got.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's probably a good good place to close it. Where else?
0: And if you save yourself you will make him happy. Keep you happy You can't in a job and
1: you make you happy Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter.
0: If you like this show, please go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for Fire and Water Records. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast out to a wider and wider
1: audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening.
0: Brothers!